0: Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Thank you, folks, for reading our scripture this morning. Uh, At City on a Hill, we put ourselves under the authority of God's Word. Uh, We believe it is inerrant, that it is perfect, and that it is authoritative for how we live. And so we... Come to that. We read it each week and we say, this is the word of the Lord uh, as we submit ourselves to it. So thank you again for reading that. Um, this morning, we'd love to connect with you. So you can fill out a connect card right here. You'll see it uh, right to my right on the screen uh, by just scanning that with your phone, scanning that code, or by going to koaforesthills.org slash connect and we would just love to get some info about you let let us know how we can connect you to the life of the church how we can pray for you um you can fill this card out if you want to get signed up for our newsletter and for doing so we'll send you a couple of free gifts uh for 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 you doing that Uh, a few announcements next sunday we have planned to have an in-person worship service we've been doing that once a month since we began weekly services back in september we're keeping an eye on that for this coming sunday obviously with coronavirus numbers uh, we're trying to keep an eye on that Um, so i do encourage you to go ahead and sign up go ahead and register for that Uh, you can do so um, through our event page on the website or through the qr code you see here on the screen um and so we're going to make a final call sometime early this week and we are going to work with our advisory team to Make sure that we do so in a safe manner. Uh, we definitely don't want to um, put anybody in, 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 health, in a health risk. Uh, and also, we want to be a good witness to our community. So we will let you know for sure. But I do encourage you to go ahead and try to sign up for, for that tentative service. Um, coming up uh, as well in um, a couple of weeks on Christmas Eve, we're going to have what's called the uh, the Koa Christmas Classic. We're a part of a network of churches. There are four city on a hill churches around greater Boston. And usually we get together for a Christmas Eve service. And this year we can't do that. We can't be together physically, but we're going to do a very special event. And you can be a part of that. If you want to uh, say hello and just t- tell uh, people Merry Christmas, if you want to uh, be a part of a vignette, to be a part of that, we would love for you to do it. And so if you will um, just scan the code here on the screen or send us uh, that connect card. We will get you information on how you can be a part of that. But we're going to show that on the afternoon of Christmas Eve. So look for some details on that in the coming weeks. Uh, This morning, we're continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount. And and so what I've found is that the more you do something um, the more you enjoy it, the more that you spend time practicing something, uh, the more enjoyment comes from it. And there are multiple things that this applies to. For example, golf. Golf is a very frustrating game. Uh, if you if you're not very good at it, if you only go hit golf balls once every three or four months, it's pretty frustrating. It takes a long time to get your swing back. If, if you're someone who plays music and you're constantly having to worry about what chord you're playing or where your fingers are going on the, on the guitar fretboard, it's just annoying. I mean, if, if, if you're cooking and you're constantly having to look at a recipe, it's just not very fun. It's just not very enjoyable. But the more you do something and the more natural something becomes, the more life-giving it is. And prayer is kind of like that. When we think about coming to prayer, prayer is a habit that we do that helps us enjoy the life that God has called us to. And so prayer is a habit in this way, and we see this in the Sermon on the Mount, that it's an invitation to the type of life that Jesus wants us to live. It's the type of life God designed us for that we would truly flourish as God's people. And prayer is a habit that forms us for that life. And it's a habit that not doesn't just form us for today, but it forms us over time. And it's a type of discipline that helps us follow Jesus. this, this is the process of discipleship, learning to follow Jesus, and there are certain disciplines that if we employ in our lives will help us not just do, go, you know, go up through the motions of following Jesus, but really enjoy it. Really find life from it. Because The the disciplines that we interact with as Christians, reading the word and prayer, are, are not just about information, they're about transformation. They're about helping us see our entire lives and the world that we live in through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of the work of Christ. And so what Jesus wants us to do by inviting us into this life and giving us prayer is he wants to deepen our love of God, our knowledge of who he is, and also how we express that towards others, that the love of God would overflow out of our lives into the lives of our neighbors and friends And so what prayer does is prayer shapes us. It shapes who we are and it shapes what we love. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about back in Matthew chapter six, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you seek after, what you desire most reveals your heart. It reveals what your heart loves. And so what prayer does is prayer trains us to love God. Prayer trains us to seek after God, to long after God when we're in need, to seek and long after God when we're struggling, to seek and long after God when we are rejoicing. And so prayer trains our hearts, this holy habit, in order to love God more fully. So Jesus invites you and I to pray. And here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, we see some really incredible stuff. This is really optimistic from Jesus. Jesus says, just ask. Just ask and you will receive. This seems really, really simple, but yet really, really profound. It seems so simple and so profound. I'm going to go ahead and give you our points for today because they're kind of staring us in the face. And I want to give them to you because what we're told is that Jesus is saying, you know, pray with confidence. Just pray with confidence. Just ask and you will receive. And then secondly, pray to God as your father. Now I could just end the sermon right there and we would all be good. We could go and pray and pray to God with confidence. But for some of us, that just seems too easy. It just seems way too easy. Pray with confidence. Ask and you'll receive. You'll get it. God's your father. It seems so easy. And I mention these also because they address two of our deepest human fears. The fear that nobody cares about us because no one's listening. And secondly, that we're alone. What Jesus is saying is that you're being invited into this whole new life with God where you matter and you're not alone that God has called you to his side as his child through the work of Christ. And that prayer is how you talk to God as your father. So let's unpack those two together. Let's unpack what it means to pray with confidence. What does it mean to pray with confidence? In verse seven, we see Jesus give three parallel statements to talk about the way in which we pray. pray. He says, ask, seek, seek and knock. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. That sounds really crazy. Jesus doesn't put any caveats on that. He doesn't put any restrictions on that. He just says, ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you. You'll find it, and the door will be open. And he kind of doubles down in verse eight, and he's like, it's almost like, in case you didn't get that, everyone who seeks, everyone who who asks everyone who knocks they will find it they will receive it they will the door will be open to them it's almost like he's saying say it louder for those in the back who cannot hear it this this repetition and this parallel we see in the original language was is for emphasis and there there was no way to you know to bold type this there's no way to highlight it or it's kind of like typing in all caps on facebook that is what is happening when jesus is saying he's trying to get our attention to say pray with confidence boldly pray with confidence this is how you and i are called to pray it's a persistent confidence. You see kind of this escalation or this progression in the way that they're praying. or He's calling us to pray. He says, first, ask. That's a verbal ask. And then secondly, you should seek it. So if you don't get an answer through asking, go find it. And if you don't get an answer through going and finding it, go bang on the door. Be really, really insistent. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, pray like a child. This is how kids ask for things kids go and they ask, they ask with no hesitation. They they, they don't, if they don't think you heard them, they will ask you again and they will ask you again and they will ask you again until you hear them. And if you don't give them the answer that they want, they will ask you again. If a kid wants to watch a movie or wants a snack, they are like a heat seeking missile and will find you wherever you are in the house to get what they want that's how kids ask for things. Why? Because they want it. Kids want it. They have no hesitation. They go ask for it. And they believe that you as an adult have the ability and the willingness to give it to them. But they, don't, they don't even think about it. And this is partly why Jesus calls us to have faith like a child, because as adults, we become skeptics. We become skeptical of God's fatherly love for us And we've become that way over time. At some point, you lost your childish belief that you could get whatever you want simply by asking. The world trains us to believe that miraculous things don't happen. We've been trained to doubt. It's said that we now live in the age of disinformation. We, we are constantly skeptical. We, we don't believe anything could really be true at face value. Um, we, we become skeptics in the way that we have to have rational explanation for everything. So when we look at the miraculous, the idea that God could answer a prayer, it seems a little far-fetched. And even if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you claim to be a Christian, you probably feel that disenchantment in your soul that do I really believe God's going to answer my prayers? At our very worst, we think we kind of see through everything. But the problem is, is if you see through everything, you don't see anything. But we were meant to experience something bigger than ourselves. We were meant to... To experience something. And so when we doubt that there is a God who loves us, a God who hears us, who wants to interact with us and wants to have this transcendent experience with us, we just end up recreating it in some other way. That's why we loved going to concerts. Concerts were those things where you got a bunch of people in a room without a mask and listened to music. You guys remember those, right? Um, that's why we went to football games is because we wanted to be a part of an experience with a group of people being a part of something bigger than ourselves. We recreate it if we see through it, and, and, and we're okay with the idea of seeking and longing after that. I mean, in fact, in the church world, there used to be a term called a seeker, someone who's seeking after God or, or meaning in their life, but we don't really live in a world that allows you to say that you found the answer to what you're seeking for. What we're saying, though, in, in Christ is that you have found what you're longing for. Because what gives us confidence, is not in our ability to long for it, but the fact that God came to us. You don't have to go looking for God. You don't have to climb a mountain to get to him. God came down to us. He took on flesh, Jesus, the God, the son, so that we could be with the father, with the one who's been with the father for all eternity. And he wants us to be with him too. And so what Jesus is saying is that you can actually ask and you can actually expect an answer Because God loves you and He gave His very Son for you. Do you pray with that type of confidence? Do you believe like a child that God wants to hear from you and will answer you when you pray? Do you believe in his confidence for provision like we talked about at the end of chapter six, that God will provide your daily needs? Do you pray for God when, to God when it comes to your longings and the desires of your soul that he will satisfy you? Do you pray to God for the good of our church? Do you pray to God believing that he will help your unbelieving neighbor see the hope of Jesus? When I think about some of my heroes as a pastor, I get really intimidated because these are people who prayed incessantly I think of George Mueller, who was uh, a pastor and, and and did a lot of work in mercy and justice. And uh, and he start he he would just pray and things would happen. He never fundraised a dime. And there's a story about George Mueller where he's running an orphanage. He has 300 orphans who and there's no breakfast, there's no food. And he starts to he just prays. He prays for breakfast, like the food was actually there. It's like that scene from Hook where the food just uh, uh, just appears on the table. So he prays for this. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door, and it's the baker in the town who said that God stirred him in the middle of the night and said that he should bake food and go take it to the orphanage. Like I, I don't, I don't get that. I don't, I don't understand that. Um, I think about two of the greatest preachers and two of the most influential preachers on me, and they couldn't be any more different. You have Charles Spurgeon, who's a British pastor and preacher in the late 1800s, and you have Gardner C. Taylor, who's an African American pastor who just passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, Spurgeon's called the prince of preachers, and, and Gardner C. Taylor's called the dean of preachers. But the thing that the two of them have in common is that they prayed like crazy. In fact, if you read some of Spurgeon's prayers, it's almost infuriating how much he is confident God will answer his prayers. Gardner C. Taylor says this about how the confidence we can have in prayer. He says, there are days when we can bring before God laughter of joy and gratitude. There will be other days when we can only muster a bitter, angry complaint, but be confident that God will accept whatever we lift up before him and he will make it serve his purpose and our good. What they found the key to the flourishing life is prayer. The key to the abiding life with God is prayer. But what keeps us from confident prayer? I believe there are two things that actually keep us from doing this. One is that we've prayed before and we don't feel like our prayers got answered. We prayed and they didn't get answered. And then the second thing is we kind of think ourselves into the ground. We say, well, you know, if God already knows what's going to happen, why should I pray? Why does it matter if I pray if God has already ordained everything? And I actually think the next point answers both of those questions. The second thing is that we pray to God as our father. Pray to God as your father. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and and that seeing God as your father changes how you pray, that you don't just pray to God for things, but you pray with God, that you're in relationship with him. And I, and I don't think we can say this enough. And and and, and I, th- I think when when we think about the way that we ask God, he wants to answer us. And so if you're a Christian, if you've trusted God, God is your father through Jesus, through what Jesus has done. You've been adopted into God's family. And that changes the way that not only you see God, but the way that God sees you. I've asked this question before, and I'm going to ask it again, because I don't think we can hear this enough, is if you were to see the look of look on God's face when he looks at you, thinking about you, what would be that look? I mean, would it be frustrated? Would it be concerned? Would it be angry? If you're in Christ, if you have trusted Jesus to save you, God looks at you with nothing but delight. And here's why. Because when he looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. He sees your perfect obedience that christ gave to you that you have now been counted as holy before god and you are now a part of god's family he sees you as his son or his daughter and he delights in you and he delights in you like an earthly parent delights in a little child and he wants you to come to him and he wants you to ask him for things he wants you to ask for outlandish things But why doesn't he always answer? See, the idea here is that God is also a good father. And verses 9 and 10 help us understand this. That even when it doesn't feel like God answers our prayers, or at least answers them in the way that we want, he does answer our prayers. Because like a good parent, like a good father, God doesn't just give us what we want, he gives us what we need. He gives us what we need. So for example, if if I fed my kids chocolate cake every day for breakfast, I'm gonna be that's pretty irresponsible, right? Like it's not a responsible thing for me to do as a parent. I need to feed them some eggs every once in a while. Maybe maybe some kale. Like I've got to do something to, to to help them eat a little more healthy. In the same way God provides what we need when he asks. He says, ask away, ask away, and I will give you what you need. this is why in verses nine and 10, Jesus gives this example. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? God's not going to give you something useless when you're hungry. He's not going to give you something useless. And the same thing with the fish and the serpent in verse 10, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. He's not going to give you something that's going to harm you. He gives you what is good for you. And He does this sometimes by not answering your prayer like you wanted it answered. See, when you can't hear God, He's still your Father. When He doesn't answer the way you want, He still answers according to His sovereign care. And He does this knowing what's best for you, knowing better than you do. Or as Tim Keller says, If he knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. Listen, I I don't understand why, as as a human, I don't understand why God doesn't answer prayer sometimes. I don't understand the mind of God or or why he doesn't answer in the way that we want. But there's a really comforting lyric from John Mark McMillan where he, he says this. He says, well, I've got no answers for heartbreaks or cancers, but a Savior who suffers them with me. God doesn't just answer our prayers. He suffers them with us. When we're going through trial or through pain or through struggle, he is near us and he is with us. He's a good father. This is why in verse 11 he says, If you then who are evil, that seems kind of harsh, right? He calls us evil, but we are sinful by nature. We're bent towards sin away from God. He says, if you who then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more your heavenly father who loves you? Now, for some of you, the idea of God being a father might be hard. You know, I know maybe you didn't have a great earthly father. My my, my dad, we didn't have the best of relationships he failed me often he you know he let me down again and again so for me a big barrier actually to trusting god was that god was a father but it's almost like jesus is saying but my dad's different he's such a good dad and he wants to be your dad too he loves you so much and the reality is, it's whether you had a good dad or a bad dad, God's a better dad. Because your dad, no matter how good he is, or even if you are a father and you're watching this, you're sinful. You're, you're, you're messed up. But our God is not just a good God, he's a perfect God. He's a perfect father. Which means with God the Father, there are no bad memories. There are no tense holidays. There are no sins or shortcomings. There are no failures to pay attention to you. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, not just look to the gifts that God can give you as a good father, look to him as your good father, worship him, long for him, know him. See, prayer also trains us and it trains us in this way because just like any good parent, not only wants their kids to feel safe and loved, they want to train them for life. And because so because God loves you, he wants you to want what really matters. And so what he's doing through prayer is he's training us for that deeper intimacy with him as our father. You know, my favorite thing when my kids come and ask for something is not that they're asking me for something, it's that I'm with them. God wants to be with you. And so what God does is he helps us want him more than getting our prayers answered the way we want them. And Jesus is the perfect example of this. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, take the cup for me. In other words, God, I don't want to die tonight. I don't want to die this way, but your will be done. It's okay when you pray to say, God, I really want this. I really don't want to go through that. But I want you more. I really want a friend because I'm lonely. I really wanna have a family. I really want freedom from habitual sin. I really don't wanna suffer, but I want you more. If you don't, you're still good. See, prayer trains us to ask, to seek, to knock, not just to get our prayers answered, but for the most important thing, which is relationship with God through Jesus Christ the most precious gift. This is why we celebrate Advent. This is why we celebrate the coming of Christ. And there's, there's not a coincidence that verse six about the pearl and the swine butts right up to this about prayer. Because when you think about a pearl, something of great price, throwing it before a pig, a pig doesn't know what to do with a pearl. Pigs just eat everything. And so if a pig eats a pearl, it's not gonna go well for them. See, you don't eat a pearl, you cherish it. And once you figure out how valuable it is, you go after it. And so Jesus actually gave a couple of parables about this a little further into the book of Matthew in Matthew chapter 13. He says in one place, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He continues in the next one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. We're all longing for some sort of treasure. We all treasure something. We're all looking for a pearl, something to value. What Jesus is saying is he is that pearl. He is the one of great value that we should be willing to sell everything, give everything away in order to know him. And what he's saying here is he's inviting us. He's saying, ask, seek, knock. You will receive. You will find. The door will be open to you. But what you find when you get to that door is that you don't have to bring anything to get in that door. In fact, you need to come to that door empty handed. Because the only way that that door opens to us is when we come needy independent, clinging to Christ alone. We come to him and the door is open to us. But secondly, why pray if God already knows? Seems counterintuitive. Well, Jesus actually says the opposite. He comes to the opposite conclusion. He says, in fact, because the father knows what you need before you ask, that's why you pray. He knows what you need. His posture towards you is this open-handed position. His arms are open. He's saying, child, come and crawl up in my lap. This is just how the kingdom works. When we pray, do we change God's mind? Absolutely not. But God works through our prayers and he's going to advance his kingdom however he wants to advance it. He's going to fulfill his will. But when we fail to pray, we just fail fail to be used by God to advance his kingdom. He may just not do it through us. And we often fail to see how God is blessing us and providing for us in everyday life. Listen, I want us to be a praying church. I want us to be individuals who pray. I want us to, be, to, to pray corporately. And in fact, and so and this is a mark of maturity. And I want us to grow into that. And so in January, we're going to start a series on our vision. And what we hope to look like over the next four to five years. What would it look like for us to be a mature church in five years? And I think part of that is we are a church that prays, prays with dependency, prays confidently, prays believing that God is our Father. And, and so, how do we see the gospel impact every area of our city? How do we see every person in every neighborhood experience the gospel? How do we plant churches? How do we make disciples? How do we love our neighbors well? It's through prayer. It starts there. That is the mark of maturity. To know that we're loved by a good father, that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to look to Jesus alone, who is our only hope. So what does prayer look like? How can you jumpstart your prayer life? So I'm gonna give you some practical stuff. First thing is you don't create intimacy. Again, this is relational you don't create intimacy, you make space for it. Set some time aside. Real practical, go to bed and wake up early. You know, try to, try to make some space. Get somewhere alone and quiet to talk with God. Put away your devices. Listen, if you think, again, pray like a child. Most children don't have iPhones. Put, put the distraction device away for a little while and pray to the Lord. Read the scriptures. the scriptures are the best tool for you if you're struggling with what to pray. Go to the Psalms and just look at a, a passage and pray through that passage. Maybe organize it. maybe you need to write down your prayers. you know do it using a prayer journal um, or a prayer or a prayer a prayer card system. We're going to include um, some more resources. We did this a couple of weeks ago. We're going to create uh, include some more resources that you can use to create prayer journals or, or, or prayer cards. Lastly, just talk to God. Just seek him. He says, come to me and just ask. What do do you do when you don't know what to pray? You just pray because God wants to talk to you as your father. Present your request to him. Talk to him about what's on your heart. Ask, seek, knock. Let's pray.